Let's pray over the word. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord, uh, to spend some time in your word. We plead the blood of Jesus over us. I take authority over every assignment and every attack of the enemy against us. I take authority over distractions. I take authority in the name of Jesus over interruption. And I thank you, Lord, that we are preaching and teaching under an open heaven, that our ears are open, our eyes are open, our hearts are open today, Lord, to hear what you have for us in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. I want us to go this morning to 2 Peter, and we're going to spend a lot of time in 2 Peter. I want to continue on being a witness, amen. I think this is really, really important for us as a body uh, Jesus never sent us out to go witness. He sent us out to be a witness. And he wanted every part of our lives to reflect him so that when the world sees you, it sees him. I'm going to say that again. We are supposed to reflect the goodness of God. We're a reflection of him. Remember, Adam and Eve were made in his image. So when you look in the mirror, you don't see you. Who do you see? You see him. That's him living in you. And so when we go out into the world, because we have spent time with Jesus, people go, wow, you're a reflection of something other than this world. You're a reflection. Say this, I am out of this world. That's the truth. We are out of this world. We're a reflection of our Father who is God. When people see us, they see Him. Therefore, it is vital that we act like Him, that we reflect Him not just on Sunday mornings, but more importantly, on Monday mornings. We should be a reflection on I-10. If you can be a reflection of God on I-10 on a regular basis, you have attained holiness. You are there. But I want us to look this morning. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3 and beginning in verse 9. And, and I am so thankful, each one of us should be so thankful that this verse is in here. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack. And that word slack means tardy. It means not late. Amen? Isn't that good to know? The Lord is not slack, he's not tardy, he's not late, concerning his promise as some count slackness, but is long-suffering. That word long-suffering, it means patient, but it means long-tempered. It means to defer anger. When the Bible says that God is long-suffering, it means that he's not just sitting there with his fingers in his ears trying not to listen to what we're doing down here. God is keenly aware of everything that's taking place on planet Earth right now. But because of his long suffering, he's able to defer that anger for the appointed time. Aren't you glad that he doesn't fly off the handle like we do sometimes? Aren't you glad that he never has a bad Monday morning? Aren't you glad that he never just says, oh, let's just forget this bunch and just start all over like he almost did with Moses? No, no, listen to me. This is so vital for us. He is long-suffering. He is deferring his anger on purpose. He's being patient on purpose. 
It is his will that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He's not slack. He's not lazy. He's not just tardy. No, no, no. He is patient. He is waiting. He is longing. He is holding this thing open so that everybody, any and everybody can get saved. It's not his will that one person go to hell. We have to know that. It says, but is patient. I'm sorry, is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish. And that word perish means cutting off entirely, but that all should come to repentance. How many of us in this room, at some point in our life, we came to repentance? Man, I am so glad that God was patient with me. I am so blessed that he waited and he waited. And when I was at my worst, he still chose to save me. Amen? In the original Aramaic, that same scripture reads, the Lord does not treat his kingdom like a dutiful chore, as some people consider it, like the treatment of a temporary laborer. But he pours out his spirit on you on your behalf since he does not wish that any should perish, but that everyone should come into grace. Everybody. Guess what? Grace is a free gift given to every single one of us. All we have to do is do what? Receive it by faith. That's our part. He's done his part. Grace is God talking to us. Faith is us talking back. That grace is here for everybody in this room and it's free and it's overflowing and it's amazing. But I have to put my hands out and I have to receive it by faith. I have to thank him and believe it and act in it and walk in it by faith. Let's look at the next verse in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, and I like this therefore, and this is verse 11, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy contact, conduct and godliness? So what he's basically saying is, is he wants us to live a holy life. That's my job right now as a believer in the earth, to live a holy life. And what that means to live a holy life is to live like you're already in heaven. We should be living. Remember, we're a reflection of the Father. Therefore, I should be living not out of this world system, but out of a heavenly system. So how do I know if I'm living in a heavenly system or an earthly system? I'm gonna make it real easy, okay? Are you ready? If it's allowed in heaven, you can do it. If it's not allowed in heaven, you can't do it. So everything we do, all of our actions, we have to put it through that filter. If it's allowed in heaven, what's allowed in heaven right now? Worship, praise, Jesus, freedom, excitement, opportunity, blessing, prosperity. All those things are heavenly concept. What's not allowed in heaven? Disease, sickness, sin. Nobody in heaven has a sin problem. Guess what? Nobody in heaven has any issues. There's nobody in heaven that's medicated. This is going to hit you in a second. If it's allowed in heaven, we can do it. If it's not allowed in heaven, we can't. We need to start living not from this world, but from that world. 
we need to start having our eyes on the horizon. We need to lift our heads up instead of looking down so much. We need to start getting excited. This is our time. This is the age. Think about it. Of all the places in the world or time that God could have put you in, he put you in right now. He didn't put us in in the 1800s. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. He gave us electricity. He gave us plumbing. Oh, thank you, Jesus. He gave us air conditioning. Thank you, Jesus. But it comes with a price. A very big price this month, matter of fact. Listen to me. A lot of us, we look in the mirror and we don't see what God sees. We have a tendency to see failure. We have a tendency to see lack. We have a tendency, like Gideon, I'm the lowest member from the smallest tribe. Who in the world could ever use me? And God is saying this morning, I put you in the game at this time. You're my A team. You're the varsity team. You're the team that's in the earth right now for this great end time harvest. Do your job. Get in the playbook, learn what your job is, and do your job. And your job today, church, is be a witness. Your job today is the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling God to man and man to God. That's our job. That's what we're here to do right now. The Great Commission never ended. It was never meant just to come to church. We were supposed to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to who? Every creature. Do you understand that when the rapture takes place and we have the seven years of tribulation, one of the first things that takes place is there's 144,000 Jewish evangelists that are unleashed in the earth, 12,000 from each tribe. Is, is evangelism important to God? Even when the church is gone, there's going to be evangelism. Why is it? Because God is patient. He is long-suffering. It's not his will. Even after the first batch is gone, the church, he still wants souls. He still wants people to go to heaven. It's not his will that any person go to hell. And there will be a portion of that seven-year time towards the end where no one will get saved. Where God himself, which means that anybody that's alive at that time will have had time after time after time after time to repent and they chose not to. Now that's, in, that's, that's insanity to me, but we're seeing that in the earth today already, aren't we? So it's so important, ladies and gentlemen, that we do our job. Second Peter chapter three, uh, verse 15. This is so good. Second Peter chapter three, verse 15. It says, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. Let me read that out of the Passion real quick. It says, and keep in mind that our Lord's extraordinary patience simply means more opportunity for salvation, just as our dear brother Paul wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. That's why God is being so patient. There is more opportunity right now for salvation than there's ever been before. Right now in the earth, more people are searching, more people are wondering. Is anybody else experiencing the pressure in the world today? It is so incredibly different. I mean, when 2020 hit, we turned a corner in the earth. With the COVID and the lockdowns and all those types of things that took place, we took a turn and we took one step closer towards the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The pressure that's being pushed down. See, because Jesus is coming. 
and there's a pressure that's being pushed down into the earth. And people are struggling, people are looking, people are wondering for the first time. It's not business as usual. It's like the days of Noah. Those rain clouds were building, but they just kept on trying to live as if everything was normal. Everything was just daily, just like everything was happening before. We're just gonna keep getting up and going to work and getting married and doing all those things, but they didn't know that the end was near. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in the days of Noah. His appearing is imminent, and I wanna be ready, and I wanna take as many people with me as I possibly can. I don't want one person, my worst enemy, whoever that may be, I don't want them to go to that hell because it is eternal and it is real. I cannot believe in a heaven and not believe in a hell. Do you know who talked about hell the most in the Bible? Jesus. Jesus made the most statements about hell than anyone else in the Bible. Think about that. There's for a reason. Don't listen to any message that tries to tell you that there is no hell or that you're already living in it. If you can get Haagen-Dazs ice cream right now, you are not living in hell. There are people, there are teachings that try and say that there is no hell. You know, how could a loving God ever send anyone to hell? Guess what? He doesn't. We were all on our way to hell when we were born, but Jesus stepped in and we took by faith what he offered to us and we got born again and we got saved from that eternal place. So it's not his will. We don't want anybody to go. I want us to go to the book of Acts chapter one and this is something about being a witness that I've really just been keying on. Acts chapter one, I really wanna read one through eight. Acts chapter one, verses one through eight. The former account I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom also he presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Notice, this is the only time in Scripture where he says to wait. You don't have to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit anymore. Amen. You can get it instantly and you can get it now. In which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In verse six, this is where I wanted to go. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? I want you to notice that when Jesus started talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit, they immediately took it into a natural realm. And they said, is this the time that you're gonna replace? Now you gotta remember, in Israel, there hadn't been a king in hundreds of years. Their whole monarchy had been destroyed. The highest ruling factor in Israel was the high priest. 
Rome was in charge of the government. There was no kings. There was nothing like that. So they all thought that Jesus had come back and was now going to restore Israel to the place where it had once had been, like in the days of David and Solomon, that there was going to be a king, that there was going to be a kingdom. And Jesus was like, no, 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 no. You're thinking like men. I need you to start thinking bigger. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a political thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's not, it's not time to restore Jesus corrects their misconception and adjusts their perspective. Number one, he declares the kingdom is currently spiritual in its character. Number two, it is international in its membership. And number three, it is gradual in its expansion. That's the kingdom of God. Look at Acts chapter four, verse 13. Now, I also want you to notice, and we talked a little bit about this last week, that we all know the, uh, the disciple Peter and that Peter walked with Jesus, he talked with Jesus, he saw all the miracles. He, uh, I mean, if, if anybody saw anything or did anything, he went up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He experienced more supernatural manifestations than any other disciple. This was Peter. But yet when it came time, he ran from a little servant girl and he denied Christ three times. I want you to, 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 to flash forward now to the book of Acts. Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, he immediately goes out and he begins to preach a sermon, a sermon with boldness. He starts speaking the word of God with a boldness that no one had ever seen before. And 3,000 people immediately get born again. The next thing you know, he's now talking to the heads of the Sanhedrin. Now he's talking to the heads of the Pharisees. And you know what? He's doing it with boldness. I want you to notice that before the baptism, he's running from a servant girl. With the baptism and with the boldness, now he's talking to the leaders of the Sanhedrin. What happened? What changed? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. He got filled with the Holy Ghost and with it, which is where I want to go this morning for our last few minutes, boldness. If you want to be a witness for Jesus Christ, you need boldness. We have to have boldness. And there's a prayer that they even prayed for all the disciples and all the people to be bold now to speak the word of God. We need boldness. How many of us, when we come up to somebody or somebody's really opinionated, we have a tendency to back down? because they have a strong personality. Listen to me, the loudest voice is not the right voice in the world right now. It seems to be that if you wanna win an argument, don't be right, just be loud. We need Holy Spirit boldness to do this mission. And we get that through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Acts chapter four, verse 13. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Now, let me give you a quick little definition of the word boldness. Boldness means freedom of speech. It means confidence. It means leaving a witness that something deserves to be remembered or taken seriously. It's a divine enablement that comes to ordinary and unprofessional people exhibiting spiritual power and authority. 
It means not, it's not a human quality. It's a result of being filled with the Holy Ghost. Boldness will come. Now listen to me. When it talks about freedom of speech, that doesn't mean that you just talked over people. And this is where I, I, I want to try and make this make sense this morning. When the Jesus and the Holy Spirit inside of you gets bigger than the circumstance around you, you're going to speak to that thing with boldness. But the only way we get bold is the God on the inside of you has to get bigger than the problem going around outside of you. That means that we've got to be constantly filled with this Holy Spirit. We have to live in a perpetual state of being filled with this Holy Spirit. That's a day-by-day thing of staying filled and filled and filled. Then all of a sudden, when someone, it could be anybody, when you now have to see, boldness is speaking the truth in love. You gotta be bold with your spouse sometimes if they're not living right. You gotta speak the truth in love. You gotta be bold with your kids. This isn't the time for parents and children to be friends. Kids need parents right now. And you gotta be bold with them and no means no. No is not just the start of the conversation, it's the end of the conversation. It's gotta be bold, we need boldness. You need boldness to stand up when they start prophesying what kind of year you're gonna have. No, 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 I'm gonna have the greatest year. These kids that came up here from school today, they're gonna have the greatest year that they've ever experienced in school. They're gonna have the greatest year, but you gotta speak that over them with boldness. Now, they're going to come home with you with things that are contrary to everything that I just prayed. You're going to be tempted in everything that I just prayed, but you've got to speak the word in love and in boldness over them that they are. You've got to keep reminding them of who they are, not of who the world says that they are, that their disciples taught of the Lord, great is their peace, undisturbed is their composure that you are 10 times wiser than those that are around you. No, no, you're the head, not the tail, above and not beneath. You have to keep reminding them. You have to be the one, parents. Don't send your kids to school to have them taught. You teach them, and then you send them, okay? That's not their job to raise your children. It's their job to teach your children. You raise them. I like this in Acts chapter four, verse 31. Thank you, Lord. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and what? And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Folks, that is a part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How many of us have been baptized in the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues? Amen, guess what? When you got the Holy Ghost, guess what you got with it? You got boldness, it's already in there. You don't need an extra special hands laid on you for boldness, guess what, it's already in there. You just gotta exercise it. See, we live in such timidity and such fear and we just wanna get along and look like everybody else, we don't wanna make any waves. Guess what, it's time to start making some waves. When we just sit there in silence. See, we have to prophesy back to everybody that's prophesying death, doom and destruction to us. The church is not going down. The church is rising up. Amen. Amen. We are expanding at a rate that the world has never seen before, but that's not CNN. That's not good news. 
There is revival taking place all over the world. Amen. In South America, in Iran, in China, in all these places, there is revival taking place. There are underground churches. There are manifestations of Jesus himself appearing to people in other countries. There is revival in Russia right now and in the Ukraine because people have seen that world systems don't work. Capitalism doesn't work. Communism doesn't work. Socialism doesn't work. It's a man-made thing. But God works. When you got saved, you got the whole deal. You got saved, you got delivered, you got peace. Let's talk about peace a little bit. Peace I leave you, Jesus said. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Folks, one of the rare things that Jesus himself gave to us. That's why our Jewish brothers and sisters start with that word and end with that word. Shalom. Shalom, shalom. What are they saying? Peace. You know what they're saying? Wholeness. They're saying prosperity. They're saying health and healing. They are encapsulating in that word everything that Jesus left you. And he screams at you, peace. When the storms came, Jesus took his finger and he stuck it up at that cloud and he said, peace, be still. If there's a storm in your life right now, say peace to it. Not peace. <laughs> this kind of peace can get you in trouble. Peace is not the absence of war, it's the presence of God. When we have a presence of God, we have wholeness in our lives. Amen? Listen to me in these last few minutes. It is so important for us to be a witness. And I hope I'm reiterating that and reiterating that. God has a certain place that he's assigned you. And in that place, you're the bishop of that place. You might be the only believer. You might look around, Jesus, I'm the only one that's saved in this whole place. Duh. It's your job to bishop that place. Begin to pray for your boss. Pray for your coworkers. Pray for those people. There are people that are hurting all around us. And usually the loudest ones are the most ones that are hurt. They need what you have. They need what we have. That's why it's so vital. Please, 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 if you don't know anything about the baptism of the Holy Spirit or you want to learn more, please come to that Sunday school class because I really think God's going to start something in there that's going to end up into this congregation and into the sanctuary where we're seeing the manifestations of the Holy Spirit at a greater level. We are supposed to earnestly desire spiritual manifestations. There are supposed to be, in this room today, manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And that's God saying, I was here. That's God leaving his business card. Yep, just came through today. Just want to see what West Houston was doing. People were prayed for. I believe people got healed. If you got healed this morning, raise your hand. If you felt the healing power of God, there you go. We had manifestations of the Holy Spirit in this place this morning. But I didn't see anything. The ceiling didn't part. Moses didn't come down. There wasn't a glory cloud. There wasn't gold dust anywhere. Ah. Did somebody get healed this morning? Did somebody get encouraged? Is anybody leaving today better than when you came? That is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. Those are manifestations of his presence. 
but we have to learn how to practice his presence, first individually and then us corporately. We have to learn. We have to learn how to wait on the Lord, not wait for the Holy Spirit. But when we get into these situations, when we get into corporate prayer, we got to learn how to wait on the Lord and let him do what he wants to do. Amen? Are you going to be a witness this week? All my boys and girls, you ready to be a witness? Amen. Got your new backpack. Got all your pins and pieces. Be a blessing to your teachers. Pray for your teachers. Please pray for your teachers. They need it. Your administrators, your principals, they're making big decisions. Pray for them. They need wisdom as they navigate this new world we live in. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Hallelujah. Jesus is Lord. If you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, then I would love the honor of leading you into the presence of God. Just bow your head and close your eyes with me. Just repeat this after me. Just say, dear Jesus, I want to know you. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I confess you as Lord. Say this, Jesus, you are my Lord. I believe that you died on the cross for me, that you were resurrected. And right now, you're at, right next to the Father as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've never prayed that prayer before, then man, so many good things to happen, man. It's a, it's a journey, isn't it? It's about the journey. And uh, God loves you. We love you here at West Houston Christian Center. Uh, we are a good discipleship church. That's one of the strengths of our church. There's a lot of good teachers that we have. Um, so I just encourage you, get involved. Take a place. If you're looking for a place to serve, we have a place for you. And uh, it will strengthen your walk. The more you're connected to the body, the stronger you're going to be. And that's through your time, your talent, your treasury. If you are serving here, if you are giving here, and if you are coming here on a regular basis, you will be blessed for doing it. Not because of me, but because of God. The Bible says a faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. So I encourage you, find a place of service, find a connect group, find a serve team. Out of that will come fellowship, which was a big part of Acts, the Acts Church. We need friends. We need fellowship right now of like-minded believers. Amen. The news is not your fellowship. Amen. Amen. We love you. Jesus is Lord. We'll see you next Sunday.